This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Round of the break for the Celtics goes around the world. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you? Pretty good, Tom. How are you? Well, I just survived 48 minutes of Celtics versus, uh, excuse me, 54 minutes of Celtics versus Magic, in which the Magic oh, did not. We still can't do math, Tom. 53. Am I wrong? <laughs> That, that sums things up nicely. <laughs> uh, the Celtics just beat the Magic in overtime, 122 to 119, uh, a game that I would not say the Celtics deserved to win by any stretch of the imagination. So I was shocked that Brad Stevens didn't say that. I almost was going to yeah. tweet, guarantee <laughs> Brad Stevens says, you know, we didn't deserve to win this one. Orlando deserves all the credit. Didn't say that. I was shocked because I thought that was coming. I think I might do like a new thing where – after every game, I do like a guess the lines as to what you think Brad Stevens is going to say. Anyway, so yeah, the, the Celtics, I would not say were very good for most of the game. I wouldn't say they like took Orlando lightly, but there definitely was not like the intensity that they played with against Toronto. It always feels weird to say like, oh, I don't think the Celtics took them seriously. And I'm like, no, like I think they were trying to beat them. It's just that like you're less motivated to try to beat Wes Wundu and Markel Fultz than you are to try to beat Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. Right, and so Orlando is without... Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier, and Michael Carter-Williams. This is completely... And, anecd- and Jonathan Isaac. Oh, true. This is completely anecdotal, but over the past, I don't know, two seasons, I feel like the Celtics are definitely a team that plays up against good teams and plays down against, like, inferior teams. That was evident again tonight. The good news is that I feel like 
they largely had, I think, and this seems weird because they were very sloppy, but they largely had the same identity, not to speak in like sports tropes, but you know what I mean? Like, I think they were trying to do the same stuff as they were against Toronto. It's just that there wasn't the same like attention to detail and the same intensity so that the execution was again, like a little sloppy, but I think they largely were trying to do the same stuff. And I'm sorry if that like high level explanation sounds like really general, but that's sort of my initial like analysis. No, that's really interesting. That really tracks with the eye test, I think, because the Celtics offense, I thought at times looked so good, like so crisp, a lot of passes to the right guy and create the right shot. It was like, it looked really good. But then to your point, you could just see the little bit of slippage, like just a little bit less, maybe like a little less attention to detail, probably not on purpose. Like, I don't think they meant to be thinking about other things. But like, yeah, I mean, just little slips here and there. Terrence Ross gets free for a bunch of shots that kind of set Orlando up to be in a position to win down the stretch. Like, yeah, there was just this like little bit of, you know, just not there that the Celtics seem to have. So yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that completely. And then likewise, I guess another trend from the past game, early Rob Williams minutes, and he was also the first center off the bench again. So I feel like that is honestly my most important takeaway. The prospect of integrating Rob into the lineup seems real. No, for sure. And I mean, I think you could kind of see why. Anis Cancer just had a, a really bad game, committed, I think, four fouls in eight minutes, got beat a bunch of times in the pick and roll, you know, which is, is going to happen. And, and Markel Fultz has actually turned himself into a nice pick and roll point guard, which is cool to see after everything that he went through early in his career. But Cancer just had trouble containing guys again. And that's, you know, that's not a surprise. He also had trouble containing Vucevic on the block. Um, Vucevic got a few post moves on him that were pretty effective. Everything that we've seen from Rob over the last few games has said, like, hey, maybe this guy should have a chance in the rotation. But it really does, at this point, kind of feel like he is. For sure. And Rob didn't look as good as he looked against the Raptors, for sure. Offensively, I think it's been going really well. And Smart continues to love finding him for a pass, whether that's either him, like, cutting to the rim or driving to the rim or the the lob pass, obviously. But they, they really seem to have good chemistry Defensively, though, I feel like he was a little bit more eager. I just feel like he had a few more lapses on that end. Yeah, I would agree. Once again, I was struck by how well he rebounds. He's got those huge hands that he just gets up so high in the air. He beats everybody else to the ball. But then, and really, that is more the way he rebounds than like getting good position. That doesn't always work on the defensive end, you know, using your athleticism. Like a lot of times, you do have to be in the right position. Um, And a lot of times Rob isn't, but on the boards, he just seems to like be able to make up for any disadvantage of position with just like pure athleticism. It's, It's very impressive. I think he's certainly making the case. A couple of other notes. Gordon Hayward has been so good tonight. He was even better. Just attacked, 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 you know, got to the rim, hit a lot of shots, got himself to the line. He, after the game, he said that he's been trying to attack more because it kind of breaks down the defense and opens up opportunities for other people. I think he's exactly right. When he gets going, when he gets into the pick and roll and he hits those mid-range jumpers, when he gets to the rim, when he does all that stuff, when he back cuts, he's really dangerous. More importantly, he breaks down the defense and gets it away from Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker. And in doing so, he's a really good passer, so he's able to take advantage. And especially tonight, so like Gordon said, he can either drive and either find the open man or pass it. But then on nights like tonight where Kemba Walker goes one for nine, Jason Tatum really doesn't have like the best night up until the final minute of regulation. Jalen Brown, standard night. Like, you know, when none of them like are really like rolling, Gordon then can I feel like take control. And they've mentioned this before, like it's really anyone's night. It's just a matter of how it shakes out. 
No, 100%. And, I mean, scoring stuff should come pretty naturally to him. I had a tweet queued up. This game felt perfectly set up for Gordon Hayward to have a huge night, a great game, and then Jason Tatum to, like, take all the headlines away down the stretch. And then that's exactly what happened. Like, Gordon, I, what he, I think he ended up with 31-9, and nine, just kept the Celtics in it at times, you know, helped the Celtics push ahead at times. And had a wild chase-down block out of nowhere. Yeah, that really saved the game. A crucial, crucial play. But, of course, Jason Tatum just, you know, he took over down the stretch. Like, I mean, his two buckets, after Kemba Walker kept that ball alive, those two buckets by Tatum were just enormous. Jason Tatum just taking away Gordon Hayward's headlines down the stretch. Gordon Hayward has done nothing to squash the weird Celtics narrative that he plays better on the road because he's allowed to video game 24-7. I'm sure Gordon 1,000% misses his daughters and misses Robin and everything, but it is just very funny to me that he is playing right into their hands, like literally right into their hands. (laughs) I thought it was funny and also interesting. When the Celtics put Ennis Cantor into the game, they immediately went into like a trapping press Basically, they put Ennis, like, way back under the rim, just, like, set him back there. Like, you just go stand near the rim, and uh, if the ball gets into the front court, we'll try to take care of it before it gets down to something you might handle. It wasn't, like, super effective. It wasn't, you know, anything that I would say swung the game in any sort of way. I I just thought it was kind of funny watching them uh, try to keep the ball out of the front court when uh, Ennis was near the rim. The other thing that I I thought the Celtics attacked the zone that Orlando threw at them really well. That's obviously something they've struggled with. And against the Heat, who are much better at playing zone than Orlando is, I thought they were much quicker about getting into, you know, sets, about getting somebody to the free throw line where they could attack. So I just thought those were two somewhat notable things from a game that kind of otherwise lacked super notable things. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I don't really know what else to say because, like, I feel like we're just reaching a point where we just need to see the playoffs. Especially the Grizzlies game, I guess, will be interesting just because of the draft pick ramifications. But the Wizards game, I mean, like... These last two games are definitely going to feel like they don't have many ramifications. I feel like I've reached the end of my, like, overreaction roller coaster ride. (laughs) Like, I don't think I will overreact again until the playoffs start. Well, I think we've hit a really healthy point, right? Because we are like, okay... The Celtics are contenders if everything goes right and they play very, very well all the time. That's a very reasonable place to end up. Like, that's not an overreaction at all. So, yeah, we really, like, we went up, we went down, we went up, we went down, and now we've just leveled out on the Celtics could be contenders if all of their very good players play like very good players. And what's funny is I think that's where we were pre-bubble. For sure. (laughs) And then once the bubble started, we went the up and down and up, and now we're just at the exact same point, so. Glad we're here, everyone. So I guess two things to note about the upcoming games is Brad did mention that he's not necessarily going to sit the starters or sit the main guys that he thinks it's good for their conditioning to still get those reps in. But he also did mention that like they don't really care about the integrity of the league necessarily. Like the Memphis Grizzlies are fighting for this playoff spot. Brad doesn't care. He's going to think about the game completely from the Celtics perspective not from like a, oh, we should give them a fair matchup so that way everything is fair. Like, and rightfully so. I wouldn't expect Brad to be like, no, like we want to make it tough for them because that's what's right. Like that would be a wild take. It would. (laughs) That would not be the take that like a forward thinking uh, NBA coach would, uh, (laughs) would assume, I would imagine. The only implication for the Celtics of the Grizzlies game is the draft pick uh, the Celtics have. The Grizzlies, top one through six protected pick. The Grizzlies are on the verge of slipping out of the playoffs. A loss to the Celtics, and then I think they 
finish with the Bucks, who might not be playing anybody by that point. But the Celtics and the Bucks left on their schedule. Very reasonable chance that they end up outside of the playoffs and in the draft lottery. So we also recorded right after the Raptors game, we did an instant reactions, but because our episode schedule is Monday and Thursday, we saved it for Monday's episode as well. So yeah, here's like 15 minutes or so on the Celtics went over the Raptors. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, the Celtics just made the Raptors quit. Like, that was wild. Um, That's a good way of putting it. The end of that third quarter... It was, it was wild to watch another contender just kind of like they were done. They were just like, nah, I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> the Celtics just beat the Raptors 122 to 100. It was not that close. Celtics were leading by something like 35 when all the starters went and sat down in the fourth quarter. Long story short, the Celtics played an eight-man rotation for much of the game. That eight-man rotation was an absolute chainsaw on both ends. They just tore the Raptors apart. Nicole, let's just kind of go through, bounce back and forth with some points. What was the first thing that stood out to you and what what I thought was maybe, you know, the Celtics' most impressive win of the season so far? Right. So that's what I was going to start was this was definitely the most solid showing. I'm not going to say a full 48 because, like you mentioned, the starters sat pretty early. But for the sake of just, like, making a point, basically the most solid game we've seen from them. I think there's two points here. One, the defense was really good all around. And then two, the ball movement was great. So when you combine both of those, it's just like pretty close to perfect. As close as you can get, yeah. Even just starting from the first quarter, I think initially I couldn't tell whether it was just like a rock fight or whether the low shooting percentage was because of the Celtics defense. You know what I mean? Because these two teams already have such strong defensive reputations, like it's hard to tell whether like the initial struggles from the field were because of that or if it was just like teams struggling to get into an offensive rhythm. The Raptors were one for eight to start. And I think like everyone was waiting for that moment where the Raptors would start making shots. At the start of the third quarter, like right after halftime, they cut into the lead. It was like down to 10 and everyone, I think, sort of thought like, oh, here it is. Like now we're going to really like get into things. And the Celtics, I thought this was probably the most impressive thing they did. They like went on a run of their own and then that sort of just like put it away. To limit the Raptors to 57 points in three quarters, that was just really impressive. Like after three, it was 91 to 57. So you couldn't have asked for really a better start. And then their response to the Raptors like pushed to make it more of an even score. The Celtics sort of played, they sort of were defending Toronto the way that Milwaukee defends teams, where they were really defending hard in the paint. They were making everything just like brutally difficult, you know, around the basket, in the paint. And, and it was kind of at the expense of their three-point defense. A lot of the Raptors' threes were good looks that they just missed. 
I think there is something that throws you off when you can't get a shot in the paint and you know you're going to have to take threes. You know you're going to have to space the other team out to the three-point line to get anything inside. And the Raptors just couldn't do it, especially early. And the Celtics, you know, built, I think it was like a nine-point lead after one. I thought it was really interesting that the Celtics tried that defensively because one of the things that I've wondered about with the Raptors is they are similar to Portland in that Portland has Nurkic who can damage you down low and then you sort of have to pick your poison because you can either kind of defend Nurkic really well or you can stop their shooters. Against the Raptors, the Celtics just really made everything hard in the paint. Like Pascal Siakam never could get anything going. A huge credit to Jalen Brown for just doing real damage against Siakam. Every layup was contested. Anything that the Raptors got inside the paint was tough. You know, they got some decent looks from three, and I would imagine that they're definitely not going to shoot that poorly on open threes again. But that's a really interesting strategy against a team like Toronto. Like, you take all that stuff away, they can beat you in some games from three. Their three-point shooters, like Fred Van Vliet's really good. The rest of the three-point shooters are, are good, passable, acceptable, but not like elite guys who are going to kill you. As a defensive strategy, I thought that was pretty smart. Kind of a reminder that when this Celtics team is at full strength, they are really, when they're at full strength and when they're playing to their potential, they are really tough. Right. And we should note that the Raptors did get several good looks, both oh, yeah, for sure. at the rim and from three. Like, there were shots. Like, you could hear Siakam yell, like, oh, my God, or, like, are you kidding me after some of his misses? And they were, like, legitimate ones that I thought would go in. You know what I mean? Like, they were shots that he should have made. So definitely some of it is just the shots weren't falling for the Raptors. But I agree with you that independent of that the Celtics defensive strategy was definitely like protecting the paint and making every drive to the basket difficult toward the end of the first quarter Kyle Lowry's mom tweeted can somebody please drive to the rim (laughs) it was just that obvious like how much the Celtics had sort of shut down that aspect of Toronto's game So let's get into just some of like our various notes. My first one, Jason Tatum in the third quarter, he floated in a couple of gorgeous shots, just a couple of really nice floaters. I mean, his first one was just like, it was, it was kind of startling that he had, that he even attempted it because it just looked like so confident and he's not a good floater shooter or whatever you would call that. If Tatum unlocks that aspect of his game, I don't know how you stop that guy. He already can hit from three. He already can finish around the rim. He already can force his way to the line. If he gets that floater down, I mean, it's already going to be really hard to stop him as he gets better. But, like, the floater, I think, is, is a real, like, major aspect of it. And he should be really good at it because guys who can shoot threes, they generally have great touch. Floaters are all about touch. I think that he's going to really master that shot. And when he does, I mean, the guy's six foot nine. Like, when, when he gets down into that, into that range, that's such a hard shot to block anyway. You can do it when you're kind of off balance. You can do it kind of off the wrong foot. It feels like kind of a small note, but, I mean, those two shots I, I really thought were, like, emblematic of like you know there are still a couple levels that this guy can go up there are several levels tom yeah and you know he's already at this point i would not be surprised at all if that's something that he and drew hanlon really hammer on i mean there's not going to be much of an off season this summer obviously but i wouldn't be surprised if he if he tries to put in some work on it going forward because i think that's a nice shot for him no that first one was so pretty and it was just like perfect (laughs) about it And it came out of nowhere. Like, I was like, wait, what just happened? (laughs) Um, But no, one thing that we, I feel like, should have led with is Rob. First off the bench, first center off the bench, too, which was, I thought, really interesting, especially because Brad stuck to that, I think, seven-man rotation, really. It was just him and Brad Wanamaker. And then we didn't see Shemi. We didn't see Romeo, Javante. Nicole. I keep forgetting smart. You're doing it again. It's Marcus Smart. (laughs) Sorry. But regardless, the fact that, like... Rob was a part of that eight-man rotation, I thought was a kind of a big deal. Oh, I, Again, 
that could have been Brad just sort of testing. I don't know. Like I sort of read into this a little bit more than I might if it were like the Nets or a different opponent. Like he turned to Rob in the first quarter. Like it wasn't even like later. Like it was in the first quarter and Cantor, did Cantor even play? No. Exactly. So like that I thought was huge. And he looked great. Right. He tipped Serge Ibaka driving, which led to a shot clock violation. He constantly was in the right place. Offensively, his development, like thinking back to his rookie season and when he was coming in offensively, he never even like looked to the basket. Like he never showed any intention of like even scoring unless it was an alley-oop, of course. But if he got the ball like outside of the paint or at the top of the key, he looked so out of place, had no idea what he was doing, looked so eager to just dish it. He just looks more comfortable and like more confident. And so offensively, the tandem of him and Smart, I think is really intriguing. Like Smart always seems to find him, whether it's an alley-oop or what? Why are you saying? No, it's just funny. Smart loves him. You're absolutely right. It's great to see them in action. I feel like he's developed beyond like, okay, we can just, you know, throw the ball high, Rob will grab it and he'll either alley-oop or he'll just get an easy layup. He'll just go above the guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. offensively, he's developed to the point where you can pass it to him and then there's two options rob might make a pass a good pass or he might go to the hoop like that i feel like is new for sure and and the thing that's so new about it too is that one thing that he's doing is instead of just purely being like a dive to the hoop man one thing that he's doing is he's getting to the other side of his defender so he's getting underneath his defender and that's one of the things that smart was doing was tossing it over the top that's not a pick and roll play that's just like smart positioning and like you know knowing how you can get the ball so yeah i mean he's been getting the ball sealing himself he had that one that was just gorgeous where smart tossed it over the top to him he kept the ball super high got the layup and like that was just a veteran play that was like something that a that a real life center would uh would do and then i think on that very next play real life center on this time plane i feel like on that very next play though he fielded another a similar pass from smart and then instead of going to the hoop he dished it to Jalen. that offense is just such a step up from what we had previously seen from rob and then a couple plays later i think he was in like the corner or something like that he read the play perfectly cut at the right time got a pass and got fouled like going up for the layup and then he made both of his free throws like and then speaking of the free throws later he made like a little baseline jumper no hesitation exactly (laughs) and just knocked it down so it's like offensively i was just like this game i feel like really showcased okay he is competent on that end of the floor outside of what we know of just getting above the rim and fielding alley-oops Defensively, I thought he showed a lot more patience. I mean, people always say he loves jumping. He like was able to curtail that like penchant for jumping, showed a lot more patience. He did bite on like an Ibaka three at one point. So obviously like, it's not like he was perfect, but like he just is showing so much more patience and like, and knows that like, okay, I can still defend really well if I don't jump. Yes. We've talked before about like, oh, Rob showed some flashes in this game. These were the first games where it wasn't flashes. It was piecing everything together. It was doing a lot. Not, you know, like you said, he's not perfect. But, like, these were the first games where it was like, no, Rob played, like, a game. Rob played, like, within the game plan. It wasn't just like, oh, he went up and swatted this shot in the third row. Oh, he went up and caught this lob. It was like, no, like, Rob defended the rim. Rob stayed down. Rob didn't swipe. That was something that he said that he and Jerome Allen have been working on is trying not to swipe and just, like, staying in position. When he stays in position, the other thing that does for him is it makes him a much better rebounder. When you're in position defensively, you are so much more likely to be in position to box out and grab a rebound or I mean, in Rob's case, he's just like around the rim. He doesn't really need to box out because he can just go up and over everybody. So yeah, I mean, I thought he sealed offensively. He was in position defensively. 
He didn't swipe. He hit his mid-range jumper. He got his rebounds. He hit his free throws. He passed well. Everything that we saw tonight was, was really, I think, encouraging for the Celtics. And obviously, you don't want to overreact to one massive blowout. But I think it's very noteworthy that he has had two very promising games in a row after a couple of weeks of everybody talking him up and saying, oh, wow, Rob looks great. Like you said, like, oh, man, I feel like I got fooled. But like, maybe you didn't. Maybe they just didn't <laughs> play him right away. Maybe this is just like, it was just a matter of him getting on the court. I am even more intrigued now. I mean, we're definitely going to see more of him given the Celtics opponents. They have the Magic, Grizzlies, and Wizards left, so I assume he will be playing. Well, unless, unless he's the member of the rotation they're trying to salvage now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I bet he'll just get reps, though. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. So Brad was asked, okay, you stuck to a really short rotation, like eight-man. Is this indicative of your playoff rotation? And he said no, like very confidently. and was like, it all depends on who you're playing, what night, who's available, all those things. For all the buzz around the centers and sort of how that may be a point of weakness for the Celtics, Daniel Tice has been fantastic, I think, the entire bubble so far. And especially tonight, he looked great once again. He knocked down back-to-back corner threes at one point, which seemed to be like a hot topic of conversation after the game. But like he's shown he can do that before. Maybe not from the corner, but he's shown that like he has range and that's something that he's been working on. I feel like that's something that Brad has done with his centers. Aaron Bain, for example, like it just becomes a point of emphasis. I mean, Tyson practice is splashy. You know, when we watch him just like shoot around, it's like, man, why isn't this guy shooting like five threes a game? But yeah, it's, it's, it's really not who he is. I got a few more notes on this game, but before we get to them, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of all their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code GINO or DealDash.fm slash GINO. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash GINO. Okay, so just a disclaimer, we forgot to mention this once we started recording, but Tom still doesn't have internet, so he's recording from his phone, so the audio still might be kind of bad, and we apologize. What were some of your other takeaways? All right, so Pascal Siakam is such an interesting player to me. In a lot of ways, he's the polar opposite of Jason Tatum. Tatum has all this polish and he can do all these things. And like, you know, he's got like decent athleticism and and good size. Where Tatum does so much of his work is with footwork. And Siakam just like, his footwork is just not very good. Like he had like a couple of like really bad travels. I think that honestly was a credit to Jalen Brown's defense. I don't think that's necessarily an indicative of Siakam's footwork. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, Jalen defended like like an all-star, like a really good player really well. But I think the way that he did it was he didn't let Siakam get to those like, you know, sweeping drives where he's just so long and athletic that you can't do anything about it. He didn't let him get into that. I was surprised that they didn't try and turn to him more. I know that he struggled a little bit off the bat, but I feel like they didn't even give him like a chance to get into his groove. 
he had plenty of misses. I think he ended up five for 15, but at one point was like two for nine. And so like he definitely started cold, but sort of like we mentioned earlier, some of them were good looks. I feel like if they turned to him, there was an opportunity for them to like have him either like set up in the post or something or just like draw a double team, just like something to sort of like offset the Celtics defense a little bit. I, I was surprised that they didn't try and get him going a little bit more. For sure. A couple other things here. I I thought it's always fun when you watch a game and like a bunch of like the best plays are passes. Jalen threw that like half court bounce pass. I don't remember who got out in transition, but I mean, you know, he threaded a needle to somebody for a layup. That was gorgeous. Tatum had that like cross court pass to Jalen in the corner for a three. That was really, really nice. It was funny hearing Brad after that game in which they were like as close to perfect as you can get. And Brad was still just like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not going to matter, you know, if we face these guys in the playoffs. It's just that, you know, this game just isn't going to matter. I mean, he's right, though. No, he's 100% right. Like, I think that was a really smart answer by him, both as a message to the team. And he definitely said that in the locker room because when Tice and Tatum came out, they reiterated the exact same message. So I love when that happens. It always cracks me up. Yeah, Brad was asked right off the bat, like, do you think this means anything moving forward? This is a potential playoff opponent. And he said, this game will mean nothing if we get that opportunity again. <laughs> like, just straight up shut that down. He's right. I do think that it's somewhat notable that the Celtics have now blown out the Raptors twice. Like, they're 3-1 and one against the Raptors, and they've blown them out twice. Because they blew them out on Christmas Day, too. I'm certainly not saying that I think the Celtics are going to, like, destroy the Raptors in a playoff series or anything like that. But I do think that, like, it's a little bit harder to write it off as one bad game when there was another one. Um, I mean, that one also was eight months ago now. I get it. I do. But But in this matchup, I think the Celtics have several, like, nice advantages. Something else totally non-basketball related that has amused me was Daniel Tice showed up to his post-game availability and, like, decked out in Mickey gear. Like, he was wearing a hat with (laughs) on it. And a t-shirt with Mickey Mouse on it. And then the other day, Kemba was wearing a hat with Mickey Mouse on it. I am digging it if the guys are like feeling the magical spirit or whatever of Disney World. Or maybe it's like Disney World doing some product placement. I'm not sure which option it is. But regardless, I support the decisions. I mean, look, if Disney has convinced Kemba Walker to wear their hats, like, you know, that's some good product placement. But that is very funny. I, I do think it's interesting that the Celtics were able to get them out of, like, keep them away from their transition opportunities. I thought they did a really good job of that. Part of that is Rob. You know, that that is a thing where I'm not trying to trash Ennis here, but he's an offensive rebounder. You know, he likes to grab those offensive boards. Like, against Toronto, it, it, it's tough if you're going for offensive boards and you don't get them because they're going to get out and they're going to get layups. And those those can change the course of the game. I mean, if you think back to that point in the game where the Raptors got it down to 10, I mean, let's say the Celtics miss a shot there. The Raptors come down and score. They get into single digits. I mean, this might feel a little bit different at that point. And I, 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 think, it's, I, I think it's very notable that the Celtics were able to, to stop that and then to really keep them from just getting out and running constantly. No, totally. I wouldn't even attribute that to just Rob, though. I think, like, Tice oh, sure. is happening even before Rob came in. Tice was fucking hustling. Tice? I mean... <laughs> At the end of this season, it will be interesting to look back and just, like, everything that was written about the Celtics before the season was like, well, they're big men depth, though. And, like, Daniel Tice, I I wonder if he read all that stuff. I wonder if he took it personally because all year he's been really solid and, like, especially later in the year, he was just really good, like, genuinely tough. He was good tonight. He's He's been good all year. But, I mean, man, 
when and, and when he's good, he makes everything just click. You can really see the the impact that Al Horford and, and uh, Aaron Baines had on him. I think he's credited them multiple times on multiple occasions. The war on Tice seems to have like slightly died down, but it's just hilarious. You think so? Because there was a tough one tonight. Earlier in the bubble, I feel like it was a lot stronger and then it sort of cooled down. But then tonight there was that one foul where like Marcus all like elbowed him in the face. Not only did he elbow him, he wrapped him up and then smacked him with his elbow. It was like a super and then the rest was like, that Tice, I'm gonna. <laughs> but then also earlier in the game, I forget what exactly was happening, but the refs blew the whistle and there was a foul on Gordon, but Tice was already ready to defend himself. Yeah. <laughs> that was very funny. The war on Tice is honestly hilarious. Like, I know Celtics fans want it to end because it's not good for the Celtics. I think it's hysterical, and I Me want it too. to go on forever. Because <laughs> of all people, too, like, Daniel Tice is just the most <laughs> random player for the refs to have, like, a vendetta against. Yeah. So my last note, I know we started off the show with this, but I, I, I wanted to just kind of bring it back to this. It is wild to watch a, like, a contender. Like, the Raptors, I mean, I think they're in the exact same boat as the Celtics, where, like, they wouldn't be the team that I would pick to come out of the East, but you wouldn't be stunned. It's not like you would be like, what? The Raptors made it out of the East? Are you serious? It was kind of stunning to watch a contender just quit. At the end of that third quarter, they were done. They were just done playing basketball against a team that they might face in the playoffs. And, like, you just don't see that that often in the end. I mean, I think that is a function of the circumstance. Like, obviously, if this were a playoff game or, like, a more meaningful game or maybe if seeding was on the line, I think the Raptors would have continued to fight. I think it was just circumstance. I wouldn't read too much into that. It is just weird to see that happen at the NBA level because I just don't think it happens that often. Not At least not to the level that it looked like it was happening at the end of the third quarter, like where they were just kind of like, all right, they're going to get threes now. I guess we'll jog back on the other end and, you know, kind of hoist something. Like, it, that's what it felt like to me anyway. I will parrot Brad here where I say, like, this won't matter in two weeks. And, in fact, it might be, it might be slightly to the Celtics' detriment. Like, maybe Serrano comes out in game one and is just like, look, we're annoyed. Maybe it won't play in the Celtics' favor. My point is not anything about the future or anything like that. It is just weird to see that on an NBA floor because I just don't think we often see a team quit like that. Eh, I, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, what I was going to say was um, I saw... <laughs> Nicole's moving on. <laughs> no, no, no. It's related. You know that meme of the guy like pointing to his forehead and like smiling? Yeah. Like, So I saw a Raptors fan tweet, can't give away the scouting report if you suck. Nick Nurse. Point. Sixth dimensional chess. <laughs> galaxy uh, brain. Real, some real galaxy brain stuff. I think part of it is like, obviously the Celtics looked amazing tonight. I think this is indicative of sort of like their peak performance. Like if they can like hit on all of these cylinders, they're going to be a really tough team. I think the reason why I might be like less, why I'm not reading so much into it, obviously it's one game. But also similar to what Brad said, like we literally just saw them three nights ago, like lay an egg against the Miami Heat without Jimmy Butler. There's no real explanation for why we got that performance and why we got this performance. I assume it boils down to just effort. Because their next opponents are so weak, I don't think we'll actually get an answer on who they are until their first round playoff matchup. It's a strong point. I think that the answer lies somewhere in what Jason Tatum was saying, actually, about the defense. He pointed out that they've been one of the worst teams in the bubble defensively, and, and he, he literally called it unacceptable. He, he said that, like, you know, they have all these elite defenders. They should be good defensively every night. 
They weren't good defensively against the Heat. They weren't good defensively, you know, in the second half against Portland. They weren't good defensively in some of their scrimmages. Like, for them to look that good, they need to be that good defensively. And, like, and they're not going to be. Like, they're not going to hold the Raptors to 57 points through three quarters in every playoff game if they face them in a series. But I think that is what it comes down to, is, like, they're going to be really good. They can be a contender if they defend really, really well every night. I thought one thing that was really notable about their defense was in the first half especially, it stood out to me how high their hands were. They were always extended. They were always up. They were paying attention to detail. That's the difference defensively. Is like if you pay attention to the details and you take it one possession at a time, then I think they can be really good because they have the personnel. They have all this talent. They have all this two-way skill. That's what it's, I think it's going to come down to. Right. Like I've definitely ridden the sort of overreaction roller coaster to sort of each of these games, but I was sort of convinced. <laughs> we both have. We were, we were declaring Rob Williams dead two days ago. <laughs> Heading into the bubble, I was like, hey, you know, you never know. It's the bubble, like bizarre circumstances. Maybe the Celtics could make a run. Once things started, I was like, there's no way. <laughs> and then after tonight, I'm like, oh, like maybe they could. I think that's really well put, and I think that's a good place to leave this uh, episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate you all. DM us. We really do love it when you guys hit us up with suggestions or comments or anything. Like, I don't know. I, th- I feel like Nicole and I are having a lot of fun doing this, so we really appreciate anybody who's listening and, uh, and keep it up with it. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a note. We appreciate it all. We will talk to you all on Monday. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.